An incredibly deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. With LinkedIn ads, you'll be able to target over 70 million decision makers all in one place. No deep voice required. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. Terms and conditions apply. You don't put those inside of you, do you? This is a show about women. I mean, you do? Finally, a show about women that isn't just a thinly veiled aspirational nightmare. It's not hosted, not narrated. We're just dropping into a woman's world. I found out when my dad was gay when I was 10. We were in a convertible on the 405 freeway, listening to the B-52s. Looking back, I should have said, this is gay. This is already all gay. (laughs) Listen to Finally a Show on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm John O'Brien, host of Money and Wealth on the Black Effect Podcast Network. I'm an entrepreneur and a businessman. Now, every Thursday, my newest venture is educating you on how to win financially. Even better, I'm going to teach it in a way that, well, you can understand. I'm going to meet you where you are and take you where you need to be. We all might have different starting points and end goals, but as long as we have the desire to acquire financial freedom, it can be done. Listen to Money and Wealth with John Hope Bryant every Thursday on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards. Like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Financial Heresy, where we talk about how money works so that you can make more keep more and give more. Today, I have Bronson Hill, a special guest for you here. We're talking about real estate, uh, specifically syndication, single family versus multifamily, looking at the macroeconomic environment right now affecting real estate, Um, things like interest rates. How is that affecting different real estate markets and uh, what risks that is posing to real estate markets right now? Really fantastic conversation here that uh, I'm really excited for you to listen to. And if you are interested in investing with uh, Bronson, I'm going to have his information linked in the show notes so that you can expand those notes there and find out more. All right. Well, thank you so much, Bronson, for joining me here. Really excited to talk to you today. Hey, Joe, really excited to be here, man. I love uh, Heresy Financial, love what you're doing, love macroeconomics. So can't wait to get into it. Thank you. Well, everything today, it's kind of crazy what's going on. Um, and uh, for for probably the last, uh, really since 2020, uh, there have been a consistent group of people who have been saying there's a, uh, a real estate crash right around the corner. Um, and so I really want to get into that with you. But first, um, tell, tell us tell us how you got into real estate and started building your business and a little bit about your story. 
Yeah. So I, uh, I've always been interested in real estate. I love the idea of making money while you sleep or having assets that work for you. So you don't have to work for your money. Um, had a single family house for years, um, had basically got into medical device sales, which basically involves going into surgery with, you know, surgeons and cardiologists and giving them in, equipment on how to, you know, do heart surgical stuff, which is very interesting. But I saw it, like there were some physicians that I worked with that, you know, made great money, made, you know, over two or $3 million a year each but they were having to uh, work 60, 80 hours a week. And I just thought that's really not something that was appealing to me. So the idea of really finding a place where I could uh, get to financial freedom, which to me is really freedom of time more than freedom of money, having my investments work for me. So I uh, had been doing single family investing. I had a cousin who uh, I got in touch with and he's like, what what are you doing the single family thing for? Why don't you do multifamily apartment investing? And I said, I'd love to, but I don't have the money. He said, you can raise the money. So I learned about syndication. since that point, that was about five years ago. We've raised almost thirty-five million for different assets. Uh, I quit my corporate job a couple of years ago. We have about two hundred million in multifamily assets. We've also done some alternative assets such as ATM machines and car washes, uh, oil and gas, things like that as well. So I'm a student of macro, love learning about all the stuff, but I just think the idea of helping people. Uh, to get out of the time for money trade is a passion of mine to develop streams of passive income. Because as Warren Buffett said, unless you learn how to make money while you sleep, you'll work until you die. Now, with your with your kind of journey there, uh, there's always a there's always a trade off. A lot of people will. Uh, agree with, let's say, you know, 90% of what you just said. So let's say I'm going to work really hard at my job, take as much of my income as possible and buy, uh, buy assets with that. That'll produce passive income for me. But it seems like you took a little bit of a different route. You turned your business itself into producing cash flowing assets. Yeah. Yeah. So really, I mean, I didn't really come from money. I didn't have like millions of dollars around. I had a good job. I was making, you know, a couple hundred K a year, but it was really something that I realized for me to grow the way I wanted to grow, I had to really find a way to create value for other people. So there's a quote by Jim Rohn, who's a motivational speaker. He said, you know, make yourself valuable to valuable people. So if I can just create value, just like you're doing with heresy, right? You're creating value around a conversation around macroeconomics and just, you know, how can people invest in a way where they can not only not get hurt by a crash, they can actually grow their wealth and they can actually grow in that way. And so uh, a lot of, you know, I think if you're into the educational space like you and I are, we don't necessarily do this for the money, but in the process of doing it, if you can help enough people, there's a way you can basically get a piece of, of the upside on some of these deals as you help people create opportunities for people. So, uh, but yeah, I think, you know, some people d- would decide a lot of people we work with are high net worth and they choose to be fully passive. Um, I think, you know, we should all aspire to that full time. But to me, I wanted to grow my wealth more quickly and this allowed me an avenue to, to to do that. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. So, um, in, uh, in syndications explain for, uh, for somebody whose only experience might be, you know, investing in a REIT, like a real estate ETF or single family homes. What is, uh, what is a syndication? So a syndication, I used, I heard the first version of the term, the term syndication. I thought of like a, like a syndicate or like a crime boss or right. something like that. You know, like a syndicate, <laughs> we're part of the syndicate, but a syndication really is just a, a fancy way of saying this is a private deal, meaning it's not p- traded on a public market. It's something that you'll typically have two parties. One is a GP or a general partner. The other is LP and a limited partner, which really is the passive investor. So you have these passive investors that typically bring most of the money and the general partners will operate the deal. Now we typically 
will put money in as well and be limited partners in the deals that we're in. But this is basically a structure and entity that allows us to go after bigger deals. So there's a lot of efficiencies, and especially in multifamily apartments. Once we give up, get up about 60 to 80 units, um, we can have on-site property management that actually you know is, is full-time dedicated to that property. We have typically a full-time maintenance person or two, and it just makes it much, much more efficient. That's why REITs and these big groups um, you know, like bigger and more expensive assets because there's a lot more resources you can put towards them. It's very difficult to manage a like 10, 10 unit apartment complexes because of the management. It's, you know, instead of managing one 100 unit property, somebody has 10 properties they've got to try to go between and provide really great uh, service and stuff like that. So part of the benefit obviously is that um, we can go after bigger, more efficient assets, uh, run them, you know, in, in a very positive way. In a way, what, what our strategy is, is really a value add strategy where we try to come in and we renovate very similar to like a house flip uh, where you come in, you say this house is, you know, 300 K, but if we do, you know, hundred K in renovations, we can sell it for 500 or 600. Right. So that's kind of how it works, but we're doing it in large apartment buildings and we're doing it for a long period of time, maybe three to five years. So that's typical real estate syndication. There's different, there's development, there's self storage, there's all kinds of, you can syndicate a coffee farm in South America. So syndication is just the structure or the legal structure of how that is set up. And in terms of why somebody might be interested in this, I'm going to use a, an example. And you can tell me if this is, um, this is accurate or not. Uh, there's a reason why Warren Buffett doesn't go around looking for things at garage sales and flipping them on eBay. Even if you can get a 300, 400, 500% return on your money doing that, you, he, there, he's, he couldn't do that with, you know, a hundred billion dollars. And so when you're dealing with, uh, you know, larger amounts of capital, it's more efficient to do something like a syndication because, um, while, you know, you know, a single, doing it with a bunch of single family homes, um, would be, uh, sometimes too cumbersome, too difficult, too expensive to scale. Is that, is that accurate? Yeah. Yeah. It really comes down to, you know, at some point you're going to run out of money. You know, if you're doing stuff in general, like as a syndicator or somebody who loves real estate, you only do so many deals. Then it's like, I need to start finding uh, other investors to be able to do it with us. Now as a passive investor, again, that's another conversation. Why would somebody invest in a passive investment or, or one of these deals? Well, the nice thing is that besides vetting the deal, and vetting the team, once you invest, you are fully passive. So you're not getting those calls in the middle of the night. Hey, you got a toilet issue here. Or, hey, we're having an issue. We got to evict the tenant. That stuff is, is done by the general partners. So it's more of a done for you uh, approach. But And you'd think you'd get paid less doing that. But I found even from doing single family, it actually, the returns are the same or even greater, especially if you have a really good team managing things. So Robert Kiyosaki, I heard him one time speak and he said, um, you know, only, you know, it's selfish to only use your own money. Right. Mm. So if I'm just doing my own deals, then that's kind of selfish. But when you can involve more people, it's obviously it's more fun. You can do bigger deals. There's benefit for the limited partners, a lot of tax benefits that come with that, as well as just a greater upside. And I think more stability. I mean, I think another uh, thing that people don't realize is during the Great Recession, uh, there's a big difference between certain types of, of real estate assets. Everybody asked me, like, well, how is the real estate market? And I'm like, well, well which one? Are we talking single family? You're talking multifamily? You're talking in the city, out of the city, which, you know, LA, Chicago, what are we talking about? But if you look, at single family as a whole, which is still in a lot of submarkets there, and multifamily, um, there was a ten times later, 10, 10 times less default rate. So, meaning 
it was 10x less in large multifamily over 60 units than it was in single family. So single family at the worst point in the Great Recession, the GFC was uh, around 4%. So that means about one in 25 homes were delinquent or in, in default. And it was one out of every 250 large multifamily. So it, it's really, people don't realize if people can't afford houses, like even now when rates are high, well, where do they go? They've got to go into apartments. And so that's kind of why we like uh, focusing on those assets. Now you bring up a really good point that um, that is it's one of the common themes that you hear anytime somebody who actually knows what they're talking about in terms of real estate they always say there's no such thing as a real estate market which real estate market are you talking about there's many of them and I'd like to I'd like to get into that um, real quick though before we jump into the different different markets um, I'd like to hear your outlook right now because like we mentioned at the beginning of the call there's been people since. Since 2010, I would say, maybe 2011, calling for the next real estate crash. And um, everybody says, oh, you know, this time is different. And that's the, you know, the thing that everybody always says is the marker that it's definitely not going to be different. But w- what is happening right now? What is your outlook? There's lots of crazy things happening, economically speaking. During the next couple of years, what are the biggest risks you see with... Uh- As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to LinkedIn.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's LinkedIn.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. I don't understand what the big fat ones are. You don't put those inside of you, do you? I mean, you do? This is a show about women. Okay, so I just reapply my lip gloss after eating a delicious lunch. We are headed back now to European political systems class at Baruch College. Finally, a show about women that isn't just a thinly-veiled aspirational nightmare. That's it. That's actually the name of the show. It's not hosted, not narrated. We're just dropping into a woman's world. It's like reality TV on the radio. I found out when my dad was gay when I was 10. We were in a convertible on the 405 freeway, listening to the B-52s. And looking back, I should have said, this is gay. This is already all gay. <laughs> Listen to Finally a Show on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
Hi, I'm John O'Brien, host of Money and Wealth on the Black Effect Podcast Network. I'm an entrepreneur and a businessman. Some would call a thought leader. Now, every Thursday, my newest venture is educating you on how to win financially. Even better, I'm going to teach it in a way that, well, you can understand. No unexplained theories, no mundane lessons, no using 20 words when two will do. I'm going to meet you where you are and take you where you need to be. I'm giving you straight talk, relatable stories, and life lessons through my own experiences and the lens of others. We're not just talking about why financial freedom is important. We're focusing on how you can achieve it too. We all might have different starting points and end goals, but as long as we have the desire to acquire financial freedom, it can be done from the streets to the suites. Listen to Money and Wealth with John Hope Bryant every Thursday on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. With real estate. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I think in general, we, a lot of us are watching across uh, all asset classes right now is, you know, the interest rates. They, they've come up so, so quickly. Um, and we're seeing it a lot, actually. There's, there's rumbles of deals that are, you know, there's cash calls to investors. There's foreclosures. I just saw that, you know, there's this big Manhattan deal with Blackstone, which is one of the largest private equity groups in the country, potentially defaulting on a $270 million 11 apartment building thing in, you know, a really nice part of, of New York. And so, and, you know, there's just stories of this happening, stories of it continuing to happen. And why, why it's happening is variable, variable rate debt, which uh, at least for large apartment buildings, I've heard figures it's around 80 to 90% has a variable rate debt. And you will think, well, why in the world would somebody ever get a variable rate debt when people are used to single family? You can get a 30-year loan on it, right? So if I've got, you know, most people listening, if you own a home, you're at three or 4% or less. Well, the challenge is most of the debt is variable. The reason why is because it's hard to get uh, fixed rate debt on a lot of these deals. And a lot of deals that have been done in the last several years, we've had such a boom in real estate, the numbers really didn't work unless people came in with this variable rate debt. And so we're seeing, you know, as much as things are happening in the financial sector, you know, Silicon Valley Bank and First Republic and different things like this, um, in real estate, there is a real storm brewing um, kind of all over. It's it's in office space, it's in apartments, it's in different things. And rents, at least we're seeing in apartments, that's really what we do uh, among other assets. But you know, we're seeing a lot of shakeups there. And so what's going to happen is if rates continue to rise, it creates more and more pain. Or even if just rates stay high for longer, even if rents are rising, they're not rising fast enough to cover increasing interest payments. Uh, there's also issues with you know just costs of insurance in, in the Southeast. We do some, some work down there. And even labor, a lot of these things are going up. So we're not seeing necessarily... And, and it comes down to if you can operate a building well. Uh, my friend Ken, Mac Ken McElroy, she means as well. He says really 2023 is the year of operations. And it comes down to like, this is, you know, Warren Buffett's saying, you know, you can only tell who's been swimming naked when the tide goes out, right? So there are people that are swimming naked. They're just kind of hanging on. And the longer and the more protracted this is, the more pain there's going to be. So I, I'm not sure exactly how long rates will stay high. I'm seeing, we're seeing some of the cracks in the financial system. I, I've really been saying, you know, over the last few months, I think sometime this year, I'm thinking that rates will stabilize or even start to come down a little bit. Um, kind of as a counter trend to that, there is, uh, you know, Bloomberg had an article late last year that said there's over $5 trillion in investor bank accounts or in individual Americans bank accounts, which is over four times the, the highest amount we've ever had, which was in COVID in 2020. So you have kind of these different trends. You have all these people waiting 
to get into stuff, inflation is high. I think what's going to happen is rates are going to stay. We just don't know how bad and how long and how much pain there's going to be. But it really is going to be a separation between good operators that had good foresight and those that didn't. And, you know, how long the Fed holds on before if there are other cracks in the system that show up. So I know it's not a really great answer, but I think that there's going to be some pretty significant pain. But I really don't think sitting in cash is a great idea because I think inflation is actually around 15% or more. And so I think, um, you know, that's the whole thing is what do you do with this, right? Where, where do we go? What, what does an investor do? And I think if you can deploy in assets that are good assets, we've, we've shifted a little bit alternative to go some of these other, you know, outside of real estate type of assets, but we love real estate. So if there's an opportunity, we'll jump back in and get into some great deals as well. So um, the interest rates thing, that's... I mean, you said a bunch there that I'd like to go into detail on. Oh um, the interest rates thing is really interesting to me because um, globally speaking, the situation that single family homes have here in the United States is an anomaly. Like nobody mm-hmm. in the world for any type of real estate has fixed 30 year mortgages. It's like it's it's only available to, you know, single family home buyers in, in the States. And so to to me, that that looks to me like when you look at what's happening with, you know, like commercial real estate, it's like these deals only made sense if you could do, uh, if, if you know, for the cash flow and the, and the numbers, if your, if your payments were low enough and the only way to get your payments low enough was to do these variable loans. And, um, and so as, as that kind of uh, unravels, that would present like an opportunity for anybody who is prepared, right? Because there's going to be some distressed sellers, especially for some of these larger properties. Yeah, yeah. So there definitely will be opportunities. Um, I think, you know, it's interesting in single family nationally, um, it's around 18%, uh, you know, obviously more or less in, in different markets. But so there has been a, d- a reduction in, in the price from, you know, peak to where we are now. So we're seeing that. And we have seen it in multifamily as well. We've seen, you know, around most areas, um, we've seen, you know, uh, prices come down a little bit. So there is opportunity. Um, and, and I've talked to really smart people that are on both sides of this equation. Cause you know, really the question as an investor is, well, do I hold off and wait or do I actually just, you know, put it all in deals and, and, you know, get something that I'm cash flowing in. And I think it really, you know, the answer is depends, right? It depends on what you want to do. Maybe hold some cash, put some in, but I do think that, um, there could be some opportunities that are going to come up. Um, and there's, there's always opportunities in every market. Um, I think if you can deploy, I think, you know, the challenge a lot of times if people have been holding on for the last year or two, um, you know, you're losing so much, over the, you know, a, a two year hold at 15% inflation, you're losing 30 to 40%. I don't know what that is annualized, but it's a substantial loss. So if you do hold for two years before these deals come around, uh, would it make sense to put something in a more of a midterm type of investment where, or even something longer term that's going to cash flow? So I've kind of been more on that side personally, because I think with all this cash on the sidelines, um, I, I don't know. I just, I like being a little more contrarian and saying, Hey, you know, when rates do come down, cause I think they will come down. And when they come down, I think there will be a, a, a huge flood of money into these assets, but the timing of that, that's the thing we don't know, right? So we don't know if that's going to be six months from now or three months, or it's going to be yeah. three years from now. So that's, that's the big unknown, right? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I think, I think even the biggest real estate bears right now would all agree, Hey, if interest rates drop, then it's go time. Like we got to get <laughs> yeah. our money deployed fast. And so to me, um, the way that I'm looking at this and you can, you can tell me if you disagree is knowing that if 
that catalyst is to happen, then there's a flood of money waiting to come in and waiting to try and snatch up any deals possible. We could get, you know, see similar things that we saw in 2020 and 2021 when rates were low. Everybody was buying. It was pushing uh, prices higher. Right now, if you can find a deal that makes sense, then likely what you're doing is you're probably putting a lot more down. You're probably not financing as much of it unless you can find uh, some creative financing. Um, there are, you know, subject to deals going on right now where people assume the older loans. So there are there are ways of ways of doing it. But ultimately, if you can get the numbers to make sense right now, where you're still cash flowing, then by the time that catalyst comes around, you're going to be better off. Because you'll, you know, let's say interest rates drop, you'll be able to pull equity out and redeploy it. And so to me, it makes more, a little bit more sense to put, the, put your money to work as long as the deal makes sense right now. Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think so. I mean, that's that's what I've been to because, you know, the challenge is if you're waiting for certainty or everything, I think, you know, I th- really think when you buy a property and this is really important, this is kind of a general with real estate. When you buy a property, your buying price is fixed but your interest rate can be adjusted later. So I don't know if we really, anybody really experts really believe that, Hey, rates are going to be, you know, 10% in a year or two. Nobody, everybody kind of believes rates are going to be back down to the fives are going to come down. So if that's the case, you don't want to be last to the party. If you buy now, you can still get a pretty good deal because rates are higher. But I think if all this, you know, capital starts flooding in, I think we'll look back on this time and say, man, if we could have made that work or found a deal that made sense, it could actually be a really good situation for everybody. But, um, you know, hindsight is, is you know, we, we don't we don't have it until we look back and see it. So I think it's something we can speculate on. But I, I'm more of the opinion that you are where it's like, I think a good deal can make a lot of sense. And then, like I said, we've shifted a little bit from doing new real estate deals because of the lending. It's hard to get a new deal done uh, just because to make the numbers work, it, you know, it's, it's twice as hard to raise the same amount of capital because of investor sentiment is down and you have to raise twice as much capital. Literally, instead of 20% yeah. down, it's like 35, 40, 50% down. So we've shifted to do things like that are all cash, such as our ATM fund or we have other you know, oil and gas, other types of deals that are just totally you know, not correlated to real estate or interest rates. The the other thing about the uh, uh, about the affordability is that um, a lot of people were saying, "Hey, like just wait until rates go up, then prices are going to collapse, and I'm going to buy the deal." And it's like, well, rates went up, and they've been up for a while now, and prices haven't collapsed. In fact, in many places, it's still more expensive in terms of like you know monthly. Um, compared to compared to what it was before because yeah prices may have come down a little bit but not nearly enough to compensate for uh, for the rise in rates as a person with a very deep voice i'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns but a deep voice doesn't sell b2b and advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell b2b either that's why if you're a b2b marketer you should use linkedin ads linkedin has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. 
I don't understand what the big fat ones are. You don't put those inside of you, do you? I mean, you do? This is a show about women. Okay, so I just reapply my lip gloss after eating a delicious lunch. We are headed back now to European political systems class at Baruch College. Woo! Finally, a show about women that isn't just a thinly veiled aspirational nightmare. That's it. That's actually the name of the show. It's not hosted, not narrated. We're just dropping into a woman's world. It's like reality TV on the radio. I found out when my dad was gay when I was 10. We were in a convertible on the 405 freeway, listening to the B-52s. Looking back, I should have said, this is gay. This is already all gay. (laughs) Listen to Finally a Show on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm John O'Brien, host of Money and Wealth on the Black Effect Podcast Network. I'm an entrepreneur and a businessman. Some would call a thought leader. Now, every Thursday, my newest venture is educating you on how to win financially. Even better, I'm going to teach it in a way that, well, you can understand. No unexplained theories, no mundane lessons, no using 20 words when two will do. I'm going to meet you where you are and take you where you need to be. I'm giving you straight talk, relatable stories, and life lessons through my own experiences and the lens of others. We're not just talking about why financial freedom is important. We're focusing on how you can achieve it too. We all might have different starting points and end goals, but as long as we have the desire to acquire financial freedom, it can be done from the streets to the suites. Listen to Money and Wealth with John Hope Bryant every Thursday on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What does optimism look like? I'm on a quest to find the people who inspire us to dream more and do more. I'm Simon Sinek, and I host a podcast called A Bit of Optimism. I talk to all sorts of people, from the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff to a hairdresser on Instagram who gives out free haircuts to the homeless. From the CEOs of the world's largest companies to the comedy writer who visited the wreckage of the Titanic, I love talking to leaders, artists, authors, and eccentrics about life, leadership, purpose, mental fitness, human skills, high performance, and other curious things. It leaves me feeling wiser, more inspired, and, well, more optimistic. Because after all, this is a bit of optimism. The world is full of magic and wonder, if you know where to look for it. Listen to A Bit of Optimism on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Right, exactly, yeah. And and that's, you know, I think it's it's something, it's a little counterintuitive because you'd think, yeah, just rates are rising and all of a sudden, oh, you know, prices must be down. But, you know, we're also, and you're looking at the macro here, when you have such a flood of, you know, 40% new currency over a two-year period, you know, from 2020 to 2022, you've got this huge flood of just new currency and money in, in bank accounts, um, you know, that changes everything. And so I think even the, the, the trade, the, the deficit that we're running on the, uh, the budget, you know, $2 trillion estimated per year, every year for the next 10 years, um, you know, everything's going to cost more. And I think that, you know, we're seeing it. I mean, I went to Chipotle the other day and, you know, a burrito that a year and a half ago cost me seven fifty is now 11 bucks and it's the same thing. I mean, that's a 50% increase in the price. 
um, you know, that stuff is happening. So no matter what the government says, it's like, you know, you've, you've also, it's not like we're going to crash back to something. It almost is kind of like the crack boom idea, right? Where things kind of start to go crazy. And obviously everything gets way more expensive. And we're seeing that in all different, you know, we're seeing it in labor costs, we're seeing it in construction costs and materials, we're seeing it in insurance, we're seeing it in a lot of different things. So I, I don't think it's that it, you know, that we're not going to really like, it's not going to be this high, low thing. It's going to be like high stabilized. All of a sudden all the things are way higher. And I just think it's going to be a protracted period of extended inflation. And I think if you're in assets that hedge that, such as real estate, state, I think you're going to be just fine. Now, I want to talk to you about the supply because there's two different major arguments out there about supply and demand right now. And I don't I don't think it's very helpful to just look at what is, you know, currently for sale. I've talked a lot about how, you know, nobody's moving because they can't afford to move because they can't afford to sell because if they sell and move somewhere, their payment's going to double. So everybody's locked in right. where they're at. But a lot of people talk about overall supply, meaning like, total number of housing units um, versus the population. And it is true, like for the last like 30 years, it's kind of moved sideways. We haven't really increased that ratio. Um, we're a little bit at a peak right now. Like we are at an all-time high, but it's barely over. Uh, but we have people like we don't have, like we used to have a lot more people living in the same household compared to now. We've got uh, we've got a lot less people like that. That trend for like 60 years has been moving that way. Mm -hmm. And so um, do you see that as a risk? Like if things get bad enough and, uh, you know, inflation keeps going and people can't afford and rates keep on going up. And if, if things get bad enough, do you see supply skyrocketing because people just walk away and move in together and start sleeping in each other's living rooms and stuff? Yeah, so that it's a really good question. The whole supply and demand. Um, there have been a, several studies that have come out in the last few years around like how are we short of housing in the U.S.? Do we have more than enough housing? And every single one that I've seen shows that we're around three to eight million like housing units short uh, for demand. So does that what does that mean? I mean, where are people living? Are they you know? It's basically just saying that with demographics, the way things are shifting. Um, and I think it, it is, as much as we're looking macro here, I think it is important to look at uh, trends, right? What, what, what trends are happening? I think buying in Cleveland, Ohio, where the population is flat or declining, um, you know, that, that's a little less relevant because the population is not growing. We bought by a lot in Jacksonville, Florida, where it's growing, you know, 1,500 new people are moving every single month and there's nowhere for them to live, right? So that becomes a more acute issue. So I think, you know, it, it kind of depends where you're at. Uh, Daniel DiMartino Booth, and she's pretty conservative on this. She wrote a book called Fed Up, was a former Fed advisor. And she basically said that, you know, she doesn't believe the, you know, three to eight million number. She thinks we're about 1 million apartment units or housing units short. So mm -hmm. regardless, all the experts are saying we're actually short apartment units and, or housing units. And why is this? It's because we built a lot kind of up to, uh, you know, right around 2008, 2007, and all of a sudden things just dropped off for a good three or four years. And then we started to pick back up and it wasn't, you know, there were several years where, where no one was building. My friend Ken McElroy said nobody was building between basically 2009 and 2013. Nobody was building at all. So we're basically behind. We're trying to catch up. And now it's actually getting very difficult to build. A lot of people I know that have been building are having trouble with building because of all construction debt typically is variable debt. There's no fixed construction uh, debt. So if you're building, then you have all this uncertainty. So a lot of these projects that have started, if they haven't already started building, they're shutting them down. Say, we're just going to shut them down. I know I have a friend that's a builder and they've shut four or five projects down because they just can't do it. So again, we have this kind of different trends, right? We've got a shortage of housing. We've got people migrating to certain areas, but yet we've got, we can't add more apartments. It takes 
years. It usually takes three years from the time you actually locate and buy property. You actually get the, the entitlements and you actually go out and build and you actually open them up. So I, I think we're going to be, especially in particular markets, it's going to continue to be very acute. And I think rents are going to keep rising because no one can buy a house right now either, right? It's very difficult to go buy a new house. So if you're you know talking about household formation, somebody's young, they're getting married, they're going and they want to go buy a house, they're professional. Um, it's very difficult right now. So where do they go? They go to apartments, they go to luxury apartments, they go to apartments in, in, a, in a metro that's a, a place they want to be. So, um, so, so we're seeing that we're seeing trends like, you know, 2% growth the last year or so to Florida, uh, certain, you know, states that you know, we really like, but uh, anyway, so that, I hope that answers your question just, yeah. you know, as far as kind of where we're headed and, and the shortage of housing. Man, when you, when you said that about the, um, you know, the construction having to stop because of, uh, because, because the debt is variable, it's like when <laughs> it makes me think of like a, like a Hydra or like a whack-a-mole, how the Federal <laughs> Reserve is the, like Jerome Powell, he came out and he said like, hey, we need a housing reset and we're going to try and, you know, reading between the lines, he's saying we need to push price prices of housing down. And so let's just jack interest rates up and see if that works. Well, it turns out that that hurts the building of new supply because the people who are out there building new stuff need the, need the interest rates a little bit more affordable to be able to continue their operations. And so um, that's, you know, you have every time they push one lever, it, you know, pops something else unexpected out the other side that they then have to deal with. Absolutely. My friend, uh, Russell Gray from Real Estate Guys, he talks about it like almost like you have a balloon in your hand and you're squeezing it. And it just like pops out when, when you push this yeah. down here, that pops out between your fingers and everything. It's continually trying to find a way. And, and I think that's what we're seeing is that they've reached a point where, you know, Paul Volcker, I think, you know, Powell really desires to be like Paul Volcker, to be able to, you know, inflict the pain, to save the economy, whatever. Well, Volcker had said previously, he's like, I couldn't, I couldn't raise rates right now. Debt is too high. The debt, you know, there's just, there's too many problems right now. And so I think they're going to realize that the more they try to do this, the more cracks are going to show up in the financial system. It's in, you know, real estate, it's in businesses. It's kind of in every level that you can't, and yet, what they're doing is they're kind of still like backstopping, you know, banks and saying, Hey, depositors can't lose any money. And, you know, so it's like, they want the pain, but they don't want too much pain. And it's, it's yeah. just going to be really interesting where this goes because you cannot control everything until something just explodes. Yeah. Or unless you have a central bank digital currency. <laughs> yeah. And you think that's coming soon? <laughs> yeah. We don't, we don't have to get into that. Uh, I don't think we have time for that conversation today, but what, what are your thoughts on, I've seen some talk about the 40 year mortgage recently. Um, have you seen that? And if so, what are your thoughts on that? Um, I haven't, I, I'm not, I'm not familiar with that. Um, you know, again, most of our stuff is, is multifamily. There, there is a product uh, that's out there. That's a 40 year. It's like called a HUD loan. It's for apartment buildings. It's very difficult to get, but it does exist. Is this a residential 40 year mortgage? Is that what you're referring to? Yeah. Yeah. I, I haven't, I haven't heard of it. So is it actually available or is it something they're just kind of talking about? Uh, I, I don't know. I, that's why I wanted to see if, uh, yeah. see if you had any insight on that. Cause I know for a while they were, they were floating the idea, especially during like 2020 and 2021. Um, and I saw, I, I kept on seeing some headlines recently pop up about it, but I didn't know if, if there was anything concrete yet that you knew about. Yeah. Haven't heard. Okay. Um, now I would, the last question that I have for you is is about your business. So uh, you you've been able to build this uh, very successful business, getting into you know doing something that most people would consider is very difficult to do, finding um, you know wealthy people with money to deploy, and then being able to create something that 
they want to deploy money into. And now that uh, things are shifting, you've been able to shift gears and now you're, you're doing things, you know, completely unrelated to real estate, like you said, with vending machines and oil. So I uh, tell me a little bit about uh, your, uh, your experience with building this business, um, what you've done to scale some of the big, maybe some big mistakes that you've uh, made and had to learn from and how, how you're pivoting right now. Yeah. So I think, you know, I, it's really helped to have uh, some mentors. I mentioned my cousin, just getting around people that are doing this. You know, if you're the only one in the room that's entrepreneur or entrepreneurial, it, it's weird. I remember when I was doing this on the side and I had my 200K a year job and I was working 20, 30 hours a week doing that. My, I don't have any entrepreneurs in my family. And so they were all like thinking I was crazy that I want to leave my job as a golden handcuffs. Like, how could you leave this? Uh, but I did get an entrepreneurs group and they were basically, there's five guys we meet together, you know, every month for a couple of years. And um, they just kind of, I shared my situation. They're all like, yeah, pretty much you should leave your job as soon as possible. And, you know, it may not work, but, um, you know, at least you'll know and you'll try and you'll go for it. So I'm really glad I did. I think for anybody who's, you know, wanted to be an entrepreneur, it is a lot of work. There's risk involved. And I think you've got to, you know, calculate those risks. Um, you know, part of me wishes I'd, I'd done it sooner, but uh, also I think, you know, I, I've learned a lot along the way and it was kind of the time I left my corporate job was, it was a good time. Uh, but I think in general, when it comes to creating value, I've actually had over 1500 one-on-one phone calls or zoom calls with high net worth investors. And so that's just been really, really valuable to have that opportunity to be able to talk and figure out what people are interested in. And there's a huge difference from, you know, somebody who's never invested in real estate and somebody who's done 30 syndications where we have a very different conversation there. But I think uh, one thing I've learned is, you know, for me is I think, you know, is what I'm working on now is just to try to, instead of just being a guy that does deals or we have our business that, you know, we do deals, but really working on creating the business, hiring more people and trying to grow that way. Um, instead of just trying to say, hey, I'm going to try to do all that, a lot of this myself. And so that's kind of where we're at is, is really trying to expand just by adding great people, great team members, and just really, you know, if we can deliver on, you know, what we want to do for investors, uh, it's amazing how people find more money. They're like, oh, I've got this, got this retirement account, or I've got a friend, or I've got five friends. And so people just start referring. And so I think in any business, if you just treat people well, and you just really try to uh, serve people, I mean, that's how people do really well is they get, you know, you help, you help solve other people's problems. And we've done it by helping people with a money problem. Now that they don't have money, but they have money and they don't know quite what to do with it. So that's really what our focus is, is trying to help develop passive wealth. Fantastic. Well, I'm going to uh, link your information in the show notes. Uh, so for anybody who's not aware on uh, the platform that you are listening on, the show notes, you can expand that and uh, click in to find out more uh, if you are interested. Um, thank you so much, Bronson, for joining uh, today. This was uh you know, lots of fantastic education and insights uh, right now. And I'm really excited to see where this thing goes. Awesome, Joe. Well, I really enjoyed being here. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to have you on one of our panels coming up too and uh, talking with some smart people about economics. So looking forward to it. Sounds good. Well, you have a good day. You don't put those inside of you, do you? This is a show about women. I mean, you do? Yes. Finally, a show about women that isn't just a thinly veiled aspirational nightmare. It's not hosted, not narrated. We're just dropping into a woman's world. I found out when my dad was gay when I was 10. We were in a convertible on the 405 freeway, listening to the B-52s. Looking back, I should have said, this is gay. This is already all gay. 
Listen to Finally a Show on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm John O'Brien, host of Money and Wealth on the Black Effect Podcast Network. I'm an entrepreneur and a businessman. Now, every Thursday, my newest venture is educating you on how to win financially. Even better, I'm going to teach it in a way that, well, you can understand. I'm going to meet you where you are and take you where you need to be. We all might have different starting points and end goals, but as long as we have the desire to acquire financial freedom, it can be done. Listen to Money and Wealth with John Hope Bryant every Thursday on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards, like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The world is full of magic and wonder, if you know where to look. And I'm obsessed with looking for it. I'm Simon Sinek, and I host a podcast called A Bit of Optimism. Each week, I have a short conversation with someone who inspires me or teaches me something about life, leadership, and other curious things. I hope you'll join me on the journey. Listen to A Bit of Optimism on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Podcasts. 